We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Owning a small business can be overwhelming. How can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. There's so many places to reach customers. Email, text messages, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, live events, the list goes on. How are you, as the business owner, expected to own all of those channels? That's where Constant Contact comes in to help. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. I use this to grow my email list, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm an basketball. I was processing all of the information processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to our bonus Lakers Exceptionalism pod uh, live session here. Wanted to do some really quick rapid fire. Shouldn't take more than 15, 20, 25 minutes. Maybe shorter, maybe longer than that. Maybe if there's a Q&A in the chat, I can get to some extra questions. But there have been a number of small topics on my mind that I wanted to talk about and share my perspective. Some Lakers, some not Lakers, all basketball, uh, some various levels of basketball. But starting off with last night, LeBron, fantastic game. He was, uh, you know... Able to, with ease, it seemed like, get to the point number he wanted to. It's so cool that he was able to just be like, yep, you know, bring the family, bring Kareem, bring everybody. I'm going to get it done. Uh, great moment for him. I In the moment, I know here on the playback live, I was like, oh, wow, like they're, they're really going to take their time with this. Um, I'm glad it happened with 10 seconds left in the third rather than at the end of the third quarter and then getting right back to action immediately following that. Uh didn't want to give, you know, timeouts that the other team was going to take advantage of, but you couldn't or something like that. But really cool for LeBron, happy for him, was watching some neat videos and I'm excited to watch more, you know, just going through him hitting the various point markers throughout his career, the fastest player to get to X, Y, and Z points, and all of that great stuff. 
But the first thing I saw when I went on to Twitter today, the first five posts in a row on the uh, For You section before I changed to following were all about people have their phones out why, you know, as he's taking that shot. And that's not unique to that. And it's not going to be something that I think goes away. But come on, people, like enjoy the moment. If you are somebody that's close enough to the action, you're paying great money to be that close to the action that you're in that picture. You don't need to take a picture to prove you were there. You can you can print out that you know these great wonderfully photographed pictures that has LeBron James in the foreground taking the shot and you in the background circle circle yourself, put an arrow and say, "Hey, there I was." We don't need your crappy ass picture from your iPhone. So you don't need to do that. If you do want to send, you know, a snap or something to a friend, prove you were there, do it not during that shot. Come on. Um, if it's to try to remember the moment, and like I've done these things before. I'm not saying I haven't, but reflecting on it, if you're in those situations, it's televised. You can get back to it. Things are so much more accessible now than they were before. So I, I like, you know, do what you want to do, but my advice would be to enjoy the moment especially if you're one of those people that's paying that kind of money to be that close that, you know, you're in the picture anyway. Uh, I saw folks comparing that situation to the Michael Jordan situation, pulling a flip phone out all those years ago, wasn't quite going to get the job done. So uh, I, not, not the most apples for apples comparison. Uh, we're in a different era these days with just how good cameras are and the quality of photos you can get. But you know, enjoy your life, live your life, take pictures if you want to. But it's made me reflect and realize that if I'm in that situation, I want to be like Phil Knight, who was like the one guy there. He was sitting courtside, just just taking it all in, enjoying it. Or hell, maybe he was uh, trying to think of what he was going to say to LeBron after the game when he presented him with a cool plaque. I've certainly also been in that situation where um, uh, things are happening, but I'm like, all right, what am I about to say? <laughs> Uh, so that's that also from that game last night, I'm really, I'm really pissed off. If you were in the stream at the end of that game, I was like, all right, we need to leave. I need to stop before I say something stupid. I was really fired up about the late game handling of, of the situation from a coaching perspective. And no, the loss isn't fully on coaching. This isn't fully on Darvin Ham or his staff. Individual players can play better. You know, refs make mistakes sometimes. OKC was, you know, overperforming their shot quality. You can point to a million things in any sport, most sports I'll say, uh, and say, oh, you know, what about this? Or, well, this wasn't the only thing that led to them losing. Yeah, but it was it was a part of leading to them losing. And we can evaluate various elements individually and criticize or allocate blame individually. We don't, it doesn't need to, like, you don't need to be able to say, oh, this is 100% responsible or 50% responsible to call out that something was dumb. And I think we saw some stuff that was dumb. And uh, as I was talking about on the stream last night, I've been getting back into chess a bit and uh, just I screwing around on the chess.com app. And one thing I really like about the the game analysis it has there, and I'm sure the other, other apps do too, is it'll show you it'll kind of grade out all of your moves and it'll be like, this was the best move. You had this many moves that were the best move, this many that were great, this many that were good. And then it's got inaccurate moves, mistakes, and blunders. And Darvin Ham has certainly received plenty of criticism since becoming a head coach. He is the guy responsible, whether or not he's the individual one making a lot of decisions. He's the 
person that's going to take heat. And especially in an environment with basketball where it's not like football where they're designated, here's the, we're going to publish it on our website, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, quarterbacks, coach, whatever. If the defense has a crappy day, it's Darwin's fault. If the offense has a crappy day, it's Darwin's fault. If the rotation's crappy, it's Darwin's fault. Um, from the in the eyes of fans, and and I think a lot of it is fair. Some of it isn't fair, but ultimately he's responsible. And I've noticed things that I haven't liked with with Ham's coaching. Some of them inaccuracies. Some of them mistakes. Some of them blunders. I'd say playing Thomas Bryant over Wendell Gabriel. There's an inaccuracy there. I don't think that's a, oh my goodness, obviously one of these guys is much better than the other. And this is a obvious decision that is very largely impactful. When we look at the data on the two, each of them are good at different things. Each of them are bad at different things. Wendy Gabriel is a god-awful defensive rebounder. And we have numbers that, that look at that. I was looking at that at B-Ball Index. Fs. Thomas Bryant has been much, much better. Rim protection. Gabriel's much better. From a three-point shooting standpoint, Bryant is able to do it a bit more than Gabriel can. And I don't think either of them are great three-point shooters, but there's a difference there. Finishing at the rim, they've both been good. So there are various elements overall. I'd say Bryant has been better offensively. Gabriel has been better defensively. Overall, the impact is fairly similar. On a game-by-game basis, based on matchup, based on scheme, it can differ. But it's not a huge difference, and it's not 100% obvious. So I'd say that's an inaccuracy. I still don't think it's the best thing. I'd rather see Wendy play. But... I wouldn't say, oh, that's a mistake or a blunder. I think a mistake, though, is not playing Max Christie. Uh, Looking at a guy who's hitting threes, playing good defense. Stylistically, he's better at defending certain types of on-ball players and weaker at defending other types. I think he was someone that could have given SGA a fit or (laughs) more resistance last night. He's someone that would have been valuable a couple days ago when we saw the game that Rui Hachimura wasn't playing (laughs) And the Lakers were in a situation defending and a strong on-ball player that is able to, you know, put up some good points with some crafty moves. And, you know, you've got your speed guys, you've got your power guys, and then you've got your finesse guys. The, the oh man, he, look at his bag, those kinds of players. And Brandon Ingram, who I'm referring to, is one of those kinds of players. And so some of these recent situations where the Lakers are running out, even situationally, Late game, get him in there for defense. Or if you're you know, running out a, a lineup after that jump ball, after the Lakers won their challenge, the Lakers shooting on the floor was like, is like AD, because LeBron was also sitting at this point, hurt his ankle. AD, Pat Beverly, Trey Brown Jr., Russell Westbrook, and Dennis Schroeder, I think was the group. Who's the shooting there? Uh, and like... Some Just situationally, there were times where it would make sense to have more length, more defense, more shooting. I think it's a mistake for the Lakers to not play him more. But it's not the most impactful thing, and it's also not maybe like 100% easy, obvious. Three-guard lineups, a minute here or there, just because, you know, it, maybe the, the rotation wasn't perfectly optimized. You want to get the same guys the right minutes, but it's more challenging to keep them away from each other. I'd say that's an inaccuracy. Having three guard lineups as your comfort zone, that's a mistake. You can argue that's a blunder. It's bad. We know it's bad. There are certain situations where it's better. There are plenty of games where it feels like we're getting away with something, but it's bad. And I'd say that's a mistake. Last night, down six points with 17.2 seconds remaining in the game, 
with two timeouts and not calling a timeout and not going for three-pointers with, again, 17 seconds. You have to go to the full length of the court. You're going to take a two. You, no guarantee the two is going to go in. If you make the two, you're down four with, what, 10 seconds left? And then you need to foul. And then you need to hope they miss free throws. And then you need to go back down and, and score again. That's a blunder. Not calling the timeout. The Lakers finished the game with down three with 1.1 seconds left after Pat Bev hit his three. They could have saved another five or six seconds had they called a timeout previously. They finished with two in their pocket. To me, that is a very easy, obvious, that is a blunder. You shouldn't do that. That can't happen. You've got to be more aware of late game situations like that because the Lakers gave up. They waved the white flag when they did not need to be waving the white flag, given what the time and the score and their timeout situation was. That, to me, is really aggravating. Going for twos instead of threes, I don't like it. There's not enough time. But they still, you know, they needed everything to go right, and they got pretty damn close. Yet, they ran out of time because they sat on those two timeouts. You call the one timeout, you still go for a two. You could have run the same thing. You could have run an ISO for Russ or whatever it was. There was no transition. You could have run the same thing or a better play, still scored your two points, then fouled, and then had a chance to go down, hit a three. Uh, or if they had called a timeout on, on the play that Bev hit a three, you know, either way, you're, you're saving time. If you could save four or five, six seconds each full time down the court, maybe maybe three or four with, their, with them going really fast, you should have had an extra opportunity to foul, call a timeout, or go the full length of the court with a couple seconds left and, and attempt something. That to me is a blunder. That is frustrating as hell for me. So that's uh that's that's Tim working in some chess terminology. Inaccuracy versus mistake versus blunder. And I think I like to use that moving forward because I think it's fair to criticize coaching. I understand that it that is a I don't know, it's somewhat of an unwritten rule among coaches. The fact that like Stan Van Gundy was even like pointing it out that it was odd during the game was surprising for me to hear. Because usually you don't hear guys called out. You can have really awful coaches and you don't see them called out by other coaches because there's that, I don't know. And I don't like this element. There's this, you know, everybody's grinding. There's a brotherhood. Don't talk down on anybody, no matter how good or bad they're doing. And it's not like that with most other professions. And I, I know it's not the, I don't know, the, the correct thing to do for me to criticize, but I'd rather point out what's good, what's bad, be transparent. And, you know, the ramifications are what they are. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to say anything unfair, but I don't want to also just ignore what we're watching. So that's my criticism of ham late game. I talked about the phones piece. Let's talk trades. Also from that game, a lot of individuals, and I didn't notice this watching live, but, uh, well, I didn't notice certain elements of it watching live, but AD's body language throughout the game was poor at certain moments on camera was poor when LeBron's going up to to take his shot to break the record everybody in the building except for those sitting courtside were standing some of them were even standing the whole Lakers bench was standing they were celebrating when the shot went in and you see AD kind of moping around sitting on the bench not caring uh in the and you know that maybe we're reading in too much there but at best he seemed disinterested at worst, perhaps bothered by the fanfare. Uh, but also, there was the on-court play. It's one thing if we're like, ah, he doesn't seem excited for his teammate. It's, uh, the other thing is, he, he wasn't very involved. He only had got a couple shots off. 
handful of shots off, I should say. Some of that was scheme. They were doubling, uh, OKC was doubling the post. They were tagging hard on rolls. They were going under pick and rolls. It's going to be hard for 80s post game and roll game to get going. And those are, you know, two big, big parts of how he's been used this year. So there's that element. The Lakers did a pretty good job countering some stuff and, and attacking. They, the execution, the shot making wasn't where it needed to be, but they were trying. And that was a big step up from what we've seen from the last coaching staff with this team. There are certainly things Ham and his staff are doing better than we've seen before. I talked about some of the bad ones just a minute ago, but I do want to call it that. That's been much better. But AD was still not as involved as he needed to be. And I would have hoped for a better game plan, but also would have hoped for a little bit more from him. Uh, there were, I don't know, he seemed very ground bound. He seemed slow energy. And, it, you know, it was disappointing. And it's had some speculating, hey, is AD potentially on the trade block? If the Lakers can't find a good deal that makes them a contender, and by not making a deal, you're giving up on the title window with LeBron and AD, do we consider moving AD and trying to kickstart a rebuild? I don't think that's something the Lakers would ever do. <laughs> I, They certainly wouldn't trade LeBron, but maybe they would trade. I, 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 can't, I can't see that happening. So I think this was more related to the frustration with losing and frustration with the defense taking him away schematically at, at times and frustration with not being able to be more involved, more so than he knows or thinks he's going to be traded, but certainly something to monitor, I'd say. In other news uh, relating to trades, I still say Charlotte's a good option. Well, Charlotte's an option. I don't I don't think it's one of the better options. I talked about, if, if you haven't heard my thoughts on trades, go back to the other two um, publicly released Lakers Exceptionalism podcasts. I cover options and what I'd like, what I'm not as into. But I think Charlotte is a, to me, it's a little scary because I don't, I think it's one of the worst options available if you're going to go get Rogier and like Ubre. But I think it's probably the cheapest, perhaps. Uh, you're taking on bad money and it might be easier and that path of least resistance might lead to it being a route the team goes. Utah, they're certainly not just, you know, giving players away. And knowing Danny, Danny Ainge over there, he's trying to get as much as he can for everybody. And Utah's one of the only sellers in this market right now. So the Lakers aren't going to get a deal, I don't think. Or I don't think they're going to, I should say, I don't think they're going to get a bargain. I think they could get a deal. But I wouldn't be surprised if the current state of talks is, all right, you can have Conley, you can have a Linux, you can have Beasley or Vanderbilt. It's going to cost you two first rounders. And that really has LA saying, nah, we're gonna, we don't want to do that. So if they can get it down to one first, I think the Lakers will do that. If they can't, I wouldn't be surprised to see them not do it. Toronto, I individually am less, I'm expecting less there. I, I don't think that the Lakers are going to be able to outbid anybody for Fred Van Vliet. I also would expect Gary Trent Jr. I, I saw that thing about people who aren't Toronto speculating that they think the value of Gary Trent Jr.'s second round picks. That's not going to be Toronto's eval. They're not giving him away either, I don't think. I'd be really shocked if they give him away for like two second round picks. So I don't expect, this is, I expect the Lakers to get outbid there. I think they can probably get something from Utah. I think Charlotte, they could probably get guys from, I think Heald is certainly very possible and he should be cheap. But I am more out on 
Toronto after mulling on it over a couple days. But if they can go get Gary Trent Jr. and then they think they can go make an Olenek Conley Vanderbilt trade for a first round pick, we should all be ecstatic. If they can make if they can bring in that talent, it's not a fantastic talent. Each of those guys have holes, but if they can bring that in, get Russ out, they'd have to have Lonnie and Bev out as well. Perhaps Jones or JTA for filler, depending on what you're doing, and keep one of your two first round picks picks. I think we should all be very, very happy. Now, the Lakers have somewhat hamstrung themselves by trading away their second round pick in 2029. They can't turn their first into a second, which means they can't protect it. So that pick, if they move it, will be unprotected at this point in time. So that makes it a little bit harder. They have even fewer fewer uh, possible iterations to trade away what they want to trade away. And when you don't have, like the Lakers are going to the store with like in their eyes, like two $20 bills and they need to go buy some stuff that might collectively cost $12 or $15 or maybe $25, but who they're buying it from doesn't have any change. <laughs> so it's like, do we overpay from our eyes? Do we overpay for this or do we just walk away and end up with nothing? Uh, what do we do? <laughs> and and I think that's, that's the best analogy I can come up with for how the Lakers lack of tradable assets that are appealing to other teams that have varying degrees of value makes it more difficult for them to go shopping. They're going to be looking for something that they think is a good value for them, but the other team also needs to think it's smart for on their end. So that's, that's what I'm thinking there when it comes to trades, uh, along with trades as well. I've certainly seen more, more talk of the Lakers tax with, uh, Brooklyn picking a trade option that they see as being better off for them. I, I said this at the time, I'll say it again. If the Lakers did offer everything, they offered Reeves, Christie, both first round picks and Russ for Kyrie. And, and I guess Joe Harris, it's still not a better trade package than what Dallas has to offer if Dallas cares about winning this year. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. It's just not. It's a better it's a better long-term setup. You get two young guys. One of them is going to be in free agency soon, but you got two young guys, you get two should be very good first round picks. I've I, in talking with uh, individuals 
with with insight into other teams thinking some teams aren't so sure those picks are going to be great. They might think the Lakers might be good 2027, 2029. You, you never know. It's really hard to know. The team won't be the same now then as it is now. So it's really, really difficult to know. But it, it's it's really hard to know with those sorts, sorts of things. I lost my train of thought. Oh, Lakers tax. Yeah, so Dallas, to me, looking at the options, Phoenix or, or the Mavs had the best offers. If the, if the Mavs care about winning this year, which they do. They're the, they were the four seed last time I checked. Uh, let's see. Are they still the four seed? They are the oh they're the five seed they're one game out of the four seed now they're not in a position to punt the season if they were in the 11 seed yeah go go play the long game but bringing in Dinwiddie they were they even attempted I don't know if they're, they're still going through this or not but trying to then parlay what they got into Fred Van Vliet too I, I saw that reported they're trying to win this year they're not just trying to blow it up if they're trying to blow it up then they also have to move KD and I don't think they want to start from scratch. They want to keep their momentum going. They want to reshuffle while also having a long-term aspect and element. And that's what the Dallas trade got, gave them, short and long-term. But what we have seen is plenty of spin. And I think this is coming from the Lakers front office around, oh my goodness, we offered them everything. Like the Lakers walked away from trade talks, from, from everything I've been hearing. Walked away from trade talks like a day early. And... Most likely at that time, like there were two options. Either they offered everything they possibly could and said, and were told, nope, like this isn't matching our vision. We want something short term. Or like that that's probably what it was. Uh that's that's my assumption for what it was. They weren't there was no work close, let's keep talking. Like they they disengaged. And to me, if it were about including Max Christie or not, or Austin Reeves or not, and they had already included the other. If it were about one one piece, I think they still would have been talking with Brooklyn up until the end. The fact that they completely disengaged tells me that Brooklyn said like, nope, it's not worth it trying to negotiate because if you give me everything you have, it's not what I'm looking for. It's either not enough value-wise or it doesn't match the style of return we're looking for. Short versus long-term returns. And, but we, you know, we, still see, we still see people eat that stuff up. Um, I've said it in the past. I'll say it again. I think there's more of a Polinka tax with this team than a Lakers tax. There are certain individuals who don't want to see the team do well, of course, but everything we've heard since the first year he's been in this role is that he's hard to work with. He lies, he spins, he leaks, he backstabs. We've heard it from people leaving the Lakers front office and you better believe it's happening with people who aren't on his own team as well. Winning a negotiation doesn't mean, or I, I should say winning long-term, continuous winning, sustained winning in negotiating, doesn't mean trying to crush everyone into the ground and lie and leak every time you get into any interaction. You need to be able to build some trust for long-term relationships, which is what as a, a front office GM, you need to be able to have. If the Lakers are burning bridges slowly over time with, a team, two teams, three teams a year, after three, four, five, six years, you are limiting yourself. It's similar to like only hiring people with Lakers con connections. You're limiting yourself. It's not, it's unnecessary. There are, are better paths forward. And I would not be at all surprised to see, you know, once, once Polink is gone, eventually, whenever that does happen, all of a sudden it's, it's easier to trade or it seems easier to trade or that Lakers tax goal goes away. Um, people have it, like, 
the the logo some people have an issue with you know the logo the jerseys all that stuff but it's more about the people you're dealing with these are individuals who are making a lot of money to act in their own best interest and very rarely are we going to see them or large swaths of them make decisions in in bad faith we saw i mean we've we've heard from magic we've heard from uh let me hang on i'm I'm being told to check a woes treat tweet ESPN sources, Lakers guard Russell Westbrook and coach Darvin Ham had a brief heated verbal altercation, ver, I'm sorry, verbal exchange in the halftime locker room on Tuesday versus OKC. Ham expressed frustration with how Westbrook lingered on the playing floor after getting subbed out of the game late second quarter. Voices were raised in the locker room with discussion turned back, but, but discussion turned back to trying to win game versus Thunder, sources said. Ham closed game with Westbrook, who had a season high 14 points in the fourth quarter. Him and Westbrook dapped up prior to leaving arena later that night. Happy ending. It wasn't the first time we saw Ham and or apparently Ham and Russ were getting into it. Ham and Handy, I'm sorry, Russ and Handy were getting into it. Not, not, uh, not the first time we've seen those things. Hopefully, water under the bridge and they can move forward. But getting back to Rob, like thinking back to the Russ trade. There were players in the Russ trade who thought that the trade with Indianapolis, or was it, I guess, yeah, Sacramento, the trade with the Kings was happening. Like 100%, they and their agents thought it was happening. And that's been spoken to. Um, I, I shared that, like, <sighs> those are just small examples. And then there's other stuff we've seen here, there, people reporting, oh, the front offices don't like dealing with the Lakers. It's, it's they don't like dealing with the front office. It's not that they don't like dealing with the logo. And I think that'll change eventually. But I, I want to, you know, keep an eye out for what you're seeing and why you're seeing it. As I said in the uh, little tune I uh, wrote up the other day and sang and put in the Discord, there's a, if you're seeing something, it's for a reason in a lot of these instances. Who is it coming from? Why are they saying it? Certain people go to certain sources. Don't Don't be surprised by that. Give me just a second. I will be. Let me pull up my notes here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So... Next topic, 
the Suns. Pulling up uh, an article here. The Suns may or may not be hiring Isaiah Thomas. Not the uh, Isaiah Thomas we know from recently playing. The Isaiah Thomas who we uh, know from being a former Pistons player. That that is long been retired. From ArizonaSports.com, Isaiah Thomas not joining Phoenix Suns under Matt Sheba despite report. Sheba, the uh, brand new owner for the Suns, just took over, or governor just took over. Uh, also, you know, big, 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 big donor to Michigan State Sports. So I know that name from there. Uh, it was reported by TNT's Chris Haynes that Ashiba intended to give Thomas a prominent role in Phoenix. Uh, Thomas, Hall of Fame point guard from his playing days, uh, has been working as an analyst for NBA TV from 2003 to 2008. Thomas helped run the Knicks. An era filled with plenty of basketball decisions that drew criticism, off-court drama, and a lawsuit, it says. And uh, there, so Thomas was sued by a female executive for alleged sexual harassment. He uh, was, blame was placed on him for a hostile work environment. Lawsuits, uh, this was, you know, tort law, not criminal law, were ruled in the uh, plaintiff's favor. He was found to have created the environment and fired someone for complaining about the environment. So I, like there are people who do things criminally or not found criminally uh, that could cause you to want to stay away from a brand standpoint, from a culture standpoint, from a value standpoint, for any number of different reasons and different people have different stances there. Bringing someone in who like has has been found to be guilty of something directly related to the job that you would be bringing them into is not not the kind of situation you want. I can't believe this is his first thing he's doing. What? Come on. After this is this is the Suns. This is the Sun uh, the franchise that just like had an ownership change because of these like cultural problems. That's bananas to me that they didn't have the background check stuff done on this and you know it maybe maybe the report was just wrong from Haynes but Oh my God, it's a bad look. It is a bad look. Hopefully it's not the route they go with. Optically, that's terrible. And uh, you need to do some real good research to make sure that this kind of stuff is not going to happen again. Because that's not the kind of crap you want from an executive. For, from anyone, for that matter. So that's my, my quick thoughts on Isaiah Thomas. Let's let's move to a different Thomas. Cam Thomas. Uh, I've seen, I forget who it was on... on uh, Twitter, but I saw someone call the Cam Thomas run here Linsanity for real hoopers or true hoopers. 44, 47, 43 points in the last three games in 106 minutes. He, this season in B-Ball Index, has his uh, clutch badge, his micro, microwave skill badge. In the prior season, he had like the pull-up uh, assassin badge, teardropper badge, all of the, like every true hooper badge pretty much. Um, I should I should actually see like how many I would categorize as that, but it seems like he had every like second level late game, you know, quick scoring badge. Uh, and he's been fantastic in these these past couple games. I want to point out, this is a guy who, like many of these uh, players, unfortunately, is a very negative defensive player. Uh, offensively, he just hasn't, he's been good. B plus shot making. He's been good. He's got good passing peripherals. Hasn't had the volume from a playmaking standpoint for himself or others to justify the negative offensive impact. It's kind of like Carmelo Anthony with the Lakers. Melo's a bad defender. That was okay when Melo was a big part of offenses because 
he was able to impact the game enough offensively that it overcame the defensive piece. It's like Trey Young uh, or Dame Lillard or somebody like that. Russell Westbrook. If you make any of those guys role players and their offensive impact is, there's a ceiling, there's a hard ceiling on it. It is capped. And the defensive, negative defensive impact is still there. All of a sudden, the, the calculus changes and it's like, all right, well, this the, the net isn't worth it right here. But Cam Thomas has been able to get more minutes these past few games than he has had in quite some time and has really taken advantage of it. I'm really happy for him. I want to celebrate it. People should be enjoying it. He rocks, and I think he's on the verge of, like, really, I mean, he's breaking out right now. This is his breakout. I don't think he's going to be able to continue at this pace for, you know, he's, he's been playing really, really, really well. I don't think he's quite that good, but he's pretty damn good, and, and the opportunity is going to be there, and I think we'll see him continue to to have this breakout. It maybe won't be 40 points game or 45 points game or whatever it's been, but I see... Solid scoring. This is someone with really great shot creation that has the shot making behind it. And he has really good passing peripherals. A minus values in passing creation, quality, efficiency, and versatility. He's not throwing the ball away. He is creating high quality looks and he's able to see the floor and make a lot of different kinds of looks. His volume was a C minus. Up that volume. Up that volume. Give him more opportunity. He's being used as a shot creator. He's going to be able to impact games. And there aren't a whole lot of guys like this. I think it's it's fair to look around and say, like, are there other who else who else is just waiting to break out? I don't think there are too many other guys. Uh, you could look at this a lot of different ways. One way I did was just you know pulling the data because if these are guys that are waiting to break out that I probably don't have great visibility of as a Lakers fan. I'm rewatching all these Lakers games. I'm not rewatching you know I'm not watching film on on the the Heat or the Celtics or whoever. Brandon Boston last year and Dylan Brooks this year are the only other players in our decade-long basketball index database that have similar shot creation value. So not necessarily shots going in, but the self-creation element with passing peripherals in quality, efficiency, and versatility matching what Cam Thomas has done. But just for those guys, similar to Thomas, the volume on the, the passing creation is, is not all that high. And for Boston and Tom, Brandon Boston and Cam Thomas, their like minutes per game are not high. Here's the big difference. Cam Thomas is a B-plus shot making to go along with the shot creation. The other two guys have Fs. We see Dylan Brooks get booed offensively by his own home crowd because he's an F shot maker. He's a great defensive player, F shot maker. Uh, Brandon Boston, I don't think he's on the verge of a breakout. Because his shot making is also very poor. Uh, if they're able to like put the ball in the hoop more with the self-creation, with these passing peripherals, then yeah, maybe there's a breakout. But one, I think this is awesome by Cam Thomas. We should enjoy it. I'm going to go rewatch some highlights later. Watch this dude play. It's a lot of fun. I'm glad their game was on before the Lakers game yesterday. Got to see a little bit of that. Two, I think he can break out. It's not going to look quite like this. It's not going to be 44, 47, 43 points every game. But... He's got the passing talent. He's got the scoring talent. And I think there's going to be more opportunity. And he has certainly, he's probably forcing the hand of Brooklyn to give him more opportunity. So I think that will continue. And then the third thing is, no, I don't think there are a lot of other guys just waiting for, you know, they're, they're going to be this kind of guy ready to break out. There are other players ready to break out in different kinds of roles. But for this, you know, guy who's ready to just get more minutes 
put the ball in his hands more and he's able to score for himself and create for others, there aren't, you know, I don't see great bench players ready to just, you know, break out and do that. At least from this quick data look, I'll, I'll try looking at it different ways. But in those areas that Cam's good at and I'd say we should care about, not quite. Last topic I want to bring up, uh, high school basketball is broken. I, they need to fix high school basketball. Uh, I saw a, let me pull the tweet up, a 4-2 to two final score for the Weatherford Eagle Athletics uh, and Iron Eagle High Schools in Oklahoma. 4-2 to two final score. And that's unacceptable. <laughs> that's so stupid. Nobody, no one should be proud of that. I don't care if you're winning or losing. That's embarrassing. About 12 states have shot clocks in the United States in high school basketball. That needs to go up. Really needs to go up. Playing, and I. this is part of why I kind of despise uh, high school basketball to varying degrees, uh, depending on where it is. Is like you can go out there, run bullshit offense, just pass and cut and pass and cut and pass and cut, run no action, not generate any advantages, and eventually you might get something as long as you don't turn the ball over. That's stupid. If we put a shot clock in, you are creating extra possessions, which means more reps, which means more development. You are punishing stupidity from a coaching standpoint schematically, and you're rewarding people being smart. If you create that incentive structure, you will see coaches evolve. There is enough resource out there are enough resources out there that if somebody's getting their ass kicked because they're falling behind, they can either improve or they're gonna get replaced by someone who can improve because the resources are there to be better. You can be smarter. Uh as long as you don't have shot clocks, you can have this this stupidity. I've played in games where we didn't, it wasn't 4-2, but it was, you know, 60-50 with three minutes left. Just pass the ball around. There's no shot clock. Make them foul. Make them try to come back from a big deficit. And I don't even like that from this perspective where I am today. That's no fun. I don't want four corners offense sitting on the ball. There's a, like, old basketball years and years and years ago at the professional level was like that. And it sucked. I hated it. We need high school basketball to up its game. It'll help with the entertainment value. It'll help with the development value. It'll help coaching. And it'll lead to smarter coaching at those lower levels, which will feed into the college levels, which will feed into the NBA levels. It's good for the game at every level. The tricky piece here is it's going to take, and this is from an article I read, two to $5,000 per school to install shot clocks. Hopefully, you know, we can get, you know, schools can get something on the lower end or it can, the, the price can lower even more. Or I don't know if uh, the states or NBA teams or college teams can help facilitate this. It's not cheap, but it's also not crazy expensive. Uh, you also need to pay someone or have volunteers to operate the shot clock, training, all that stuff. So it's not just like, oh, this can happen tomorrow. You need everybody everywhere to be able to install it in the state. You need to make it mandatory. And not every school has the same number of resources. But if you can make it happen, it needs to happen. I, I want to see, I want to see, oh, okay, so Iron Eagle wasn't, Weatherford Eagles, and then I don't know who the other team was they were playing. This needs to happen. Basketball should be better than this. Uh, as the Weatherford Eagles, uh, Iron Eagle account says, doesn't matter, get better. Like, figure figure this out. Partner with teams at the, the higher levels that have resources and see if you can get this done because this would be very helpful for the game at all levels. I want to see that. So that's me getting through my list. I'm going to scroll through the chat here. I may have missed some questions throughout. 
me go back towards the start. All right, let's see. I'm just really quickly going through and looking for question marks pretty much. Do you think the players are aware of how poorly Hem has handled rotations slash late game situations? I heard from someone within the Lakers organization within the first month of the season that there's been a big, big step down from the last coaching staff in a number of areas. There have been steps up, but they're like, yeah, these, these aren't players who are for the first time ever playing basketball. They know what good should look like. Most of them, if not all of them. And I would imagine that there's a degree of awareness schematically, maybe a little bit less so, but rotations, they, they feel that they live that day in and day out. How much am I playing? Who am I playing with? Who isn't playing? They're friends with each other. Man, why isn't this guy getting minutes? Late game situations, same sort of thing. Like that's got to be really frustrating. Let's see. Have I heard, I'm assuming these are, this is responding to the, or reacting to the trades. Uh, they're at least close to happening or do I believe there's a bigger chance that once again, we will be left disappointed. There's a real chance we're going to be left disappointed. I think the Lakers are going to make something happen, but I, here's what I think is most likely to happen. It's either going to be they are able to like find a deal that we like and keep one first round pick, or we're going to see them overpay because they're afraid of the backlash of not going all in, or we're going to see them fail to make a trade, know that they can't do nothing and make some small move and go pay like a second round pick or two for like Josh Richardson, which yeah, I'm happy to get Josh Richardson, but that is a small move that overall would be disappointing compared to some of the larger things that could happen. I expect to see something that helps the team. Will it be enough for a title? I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. I would be speculating at this point and I, that I don't have value add information there. There, I know they're actively looking, but it's a marketplace. They're not the only buyer and they are limited in terms of, you know, like I said earlier, what, what dollar bills they're able to bring to the table to buy something. If they've got a couple twenties and they're, they're trying to acquire pieces that cost 12 bucks, 14 bucks. And you know, the other team doesn't have change. It's, it's hard. Uh, so maybe we end up seeing them making a deal where it looks like an overpay, but it's like, Oh, okay. But we also got, we got second round picks back or something like that. You never know. Let's see any other questions. If Bob Myers is available this summer, should and do you think Jeannie will hire him and let Polinka go? Should, yes. Same thing with on the coaching side. If someone fantastic is available, go get him. Go get him. Get it, get out of this deal, go get him. Will they? I don't think so. I I don't think I don't think they would. For Bob Myers to take the Lakers job, and somebody talked to me about this. Who uh three years, four years ago, if Bob Myers is to take the Lakers job, the current infrastructure where the Rambuses have a lot of power, Rob has a lot of power, but if you replace Rob, you know, you replace Rob, but the Rambuses have a lot of power. Jeannie's got power. Jeannie's got people in her ear and her younger siblings are also in positions where they're, you know, want to be able to part of, be part of the family business. It's not like it would be walking into another team situation where it's more of a corporate structure. Okay. You're in charge now. Go make decisions. And if a Bob Myers is available, if let's say that if, if Myers or someone of his caliber is available and the Lakers reach out and they don't take it, 
the reason they are not taking it is not probably not going to be money. It's not going to be, oh, the, the, the location's not good enough. The brand's not good enough. It's going to be, I can't operate with this sort of structure. I need more power than this. There's a power vacuum. I've been told the Lakers front office is like succession meets Game of Thrones in a way. Like it's not all straightforward. There's no great org chart. It's very muddled and that could push candidates away potentially. Scrolling through, scrolling through. Any other questions? And then I've got to get going here in a sec. So, uh, okay, YK the Beast did the math, or yeah, he did the math. No, Real Swishlist did the math. Where, well, I don't know, somebody did the math. <laughs> One of the two of them did math on the trade proposal of sending or of acquiring Conley, Olenek, and Heald, and it'd be something like $79 million tax. Yeah, so that could be a deterrent for the Lakers. I think by them going after Kyrie, they tell us that they are willing to. You know, bring on salary, but even that, you don't, you don't know what the long term looks like. So that's all I've got for today. Thank you all for joining me. I'll get this up soon and it will be its own podcast. Uh, again, this won't be on the regular feed. Well, no, nah, I'll stick this on the regular feed. I'll do another Q&A session just for the, the private feed later. But if you're joining late, go check out the regular feed. You'll be able to see this up there. I'll see you all next time. Take care. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.